There are some conversations that we have with people at times, and we're all sitting around discussing things that are a part of our society. And occasionally, when we're discussing things such as that, people will ask me, they'll say, Tony, you need to preach a lesson on that topic. And uh, this is one of those lessons that came from some discussions with other people. I want to begin by using an illustration. Many years ago, there was a comedian, an actor, writer, humorist, I guess the best way to put it, by the name of W.C. Fields. W.C. Fields was not a very religious man. Uh, He was a man who was an agnostic in his religion. He had no use for the Bible or what it was saying, but there was a man who came to W.C. Fields and asked him when he was very near the end of his life and saw him reading the Bible, what are you doing reading the Bible? And His response was, I'm looking for loopholes. I'm looking for loopholes. The truth is, is that there are so many people looking for loopholes. They're looking for loopholes for salvation. They're looking for loopholes for almost everything. And so I made a list of four things that I think that people are looking for loopholes in. They're looking for loopholes with regards to their giving, looking for loopholes with regards to oaths, with regards to morality, and I'm going to be even more specific than that, and with regards to marriage, and then finally with our own personal responsibility. So for a few minutes, let's take some time to study these four areas and to consider them. And first of all, when you start thinking of giving, there was sort of a plan in mind with putting this at this time of the year, Because this time of year, many of you are either having your taxes prepared, have had them prepared, or going to do so within the next few weeks. And obviously, most of us, as it comes time to meet with an accountant or tax preparer, will look at them and say, are there any new loopholes that I can take advantage of so I won't have to pay as much tax? Most of us want to try to in the area of taxes, get by with as little as legally and as morally possible. But when it comes to giving spiritually, there are some people who have the idea, are there areas or ways that I cannot give and still be okay? Let me use a few biblical illustrations, if you will. The Old Testament was very plain about the care of one's parents. The Bible said, honor your father and mother. And the Bible says, you don't speak evil of father and mother. When you get to the book of Mark, chapter 7, you realize there was something going on in the first century that just wasn't right. And here's what Jesus said in Mark, chapter 7, verses 9 through 13. He said, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and He who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his mother, father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God no effect through your tradition, 
which you have handed down, and many such things you do. You see, what Jesus was referring to was a common practice where if a person looked at his mother and father and said, you know what, they're, they're getting old and they're going to require a lot of support, they're going to require a lot of, of my work and my money, that they allowed that person to say, well, whatever I have is Corbin. I can't give it to you because it's a gift to God. Now, never mind the fact that that gift remained with them. Never mind the fact that that money that they designated as going to God didn't go to God because they kept control of it. You see, there's a loophole there. That's why I can not give for my parents like I'm supposed to, not necessarily give to God like I say I'm giving, but I've got a loophole there where I can keep all my money and use it the way I want to. The Jews also had another problem in their giving. God had specified what kind of sacrifices he wanted. Very clear as you read the book of Leviticus, the, you had to have an animal without spot and without blemish. And yet, by the time you get to the book of Malachi, to chapter 1, verse 18, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Will he be pleased with you or will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 14. But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow and sacrifices the Lord what is blemished. For I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Here you have a person who decides I'm going to give God what I don't want myself. Something that's blind, lame, sick. Something that perhaps will die anyway. Now, we wouldn't want someone to do that to us. Why would we then think that that would be acceptable to God? People will say sometimes, well, let's give to the Lord what we don't need. What we have left over. You know, that's not what the Bible teaches about our giving. Teaches a man ought to give as he's been prospered, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves us cheerful giver. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses seven and following there. But then you look at another illustration is that of Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter five, they were following the example of Barnabas. The end of chapter four, Barnabas had a piece of property. He sold it, he came and he laid the money at the apostles' feet and they were using that as the needs arose. When you get to chapter 5 and you look at verses 1 through 10, you read these words, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back a part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to God, or not to men, but to God. And then an Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. 
So great fear came upon all who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered it, her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, carrying her out, buried her by her husband. You see, what you observe in this passage is it wasn't wrong for them to sell the property they have and keep the money. It wasn't wrong for them to have sold the property, to kept part of the money and give part of the money. The problem was is that they came suggesting, implying, or evidently, according to the way the text reads here, they said they gave it all and they said they gave that much problem was they're lying about it. You see, people are looking for loopholes to say, how can I get credit for giving to God and yet not really give to God? How can I get honor and glory from what I would do and yet not do it? See, people are looking for loopholes with regards to their giving. Well, let's talk about another one that was very prominent in the Bible. That's the making of oaths, the making of promises, the making of vows. And many times people will make a promise, they will make a vow, and particularly to God, and then not keep that promise or not keep that vow. In fact, the Pharisees had developed a very clever loophole that they had in their plans. And Jesus refers to it in Matthew chapter 23. And the way he puts it is just you start looking and say, I can see how they they tried to make that work. He said, woe to you blind guides who say whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold. And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift on it is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Now, before I go to the next scripture or the rest of this passage, I want you to notice the way they were reasoning. Oh, if you swear by the temple, you don't have to do it. You swear by the altar, you don't have to do it. But if you say the gold, or if you say the gift, yeah, you got to do that. It's almost like when we were children, you told somebody you'd do something, and you crossed your fingers, and you put them behind your back. And they say, okay, are you going to do it? No, 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 I have my fingers crossed. They would say, I didn't swear by the gold of the temple. I only swore by the temple itself and thereby creating a loophole. Jesus went on to say, verses 21 22, he who swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. You see, the 
the truth is, is that your words better mean something and they better be true and honest. And in fact, in James chapter 5, verse 12, he said, But above all, brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. What James was saying is, when you say yes, you mean that yes. When you say no, you mean no. You don't try to deceive. You don't try to create a loophole to say, I, well, I, I really didn't mean that. Now, it's not as if God had not already addressed this. In the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Deuteronomy, as Moses has the children of Israel ready to enter into the promised land, he wanted them to understand that when you get there and you make vows to God, you have to keep those vows. Later on, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 will also address the same thing. Let's look at these two passages together. When you make a vow to the Lord your God... You shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God would surely require it of you and it would be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. That which is gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform. For you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. That means that every one of us have the ability to say, I'll do it. We have the ability not to say anything. When you and I make a promise to God in this case, we need to think carefully about those promises before we make them. Solomon expanded it even further, though, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Walk prudently. When you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you're on earth, therefore let your words be few. Now skipping to verse 4, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better to vow, not vow, than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? When you go into the house of God, he says, think about what you're saying. Some of the songs that we sing, I surrender a little bit. I surrender all. You think about some of the songs, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts together in Christian love. And then you think about those with whom you will not even speak. Do you realize that when you and I make promises in the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray and and the things that we say to God, he's saying you need to be careful. There are no loopholes with regards to these oaths. 
Let's talk about a third area. And perhaps there's never been an area where there's a, been an attempt to find more loopholes than with regards to the issue of divorce and remarriage. Let's be honest. We live in a world where divorce has become just all too common. I would say that most of us have very close members of our families who have been involved in divorces. I know I do in my family, in fact, several repeatedly. And the question comes up is, if they remarry, is that acceptable to God? Now what we have to do is we have to look and see what the Bible says and see what God's view of this is. Well, to do that, let's go to Matthew 19. We'll begin with verse 3 and we'll go through verse 9. Uh, it appears in a larger context, but I think there's enough here for us to gather what the Lord is saying. Pharisees also came to him testing him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Stop right there for just a moment. You don't like the way they look. You don't like the way they talk. You don't like the, um, the way they cook the meals. Or maybe today we shouldn't say where they cook the meals, where they go to buy the meals to eat. What, do you, what are you going you know, is it any reason? He answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. Now listen carefully to verse 6. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Folks, that's pretty clear, pretty plain. But let's pick up with verse 7. Then they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for fornication and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. The Lord gave one and only one exception for which a married couple may be able to have one of those parties put the other one away. And that is, if the one party is innocent and the other party is guilty of fornication, then he says that's permissible. But anything other than that would be adultery. Now, there are people who say, but now there's got to be another loophole in there somewhere. I'm going to mention to you two of them that have been suggested and we're going to address them. Some people will point to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 15 and say that Paul offers what they call the Pauline privilege. They offer... He's offering a, another way. And they're saying that desertion is good enough. 
In 1 Corinthians 7, 15, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. What they would say is, is here you are, you're in a marriage, and your husband, your wife just gets up and leaves and walks out and says, I'm not interested in being married anymore. But that gives another excuse, or if you will, a loophole. I'd suggest to you one thing you need to look at very clearly here is there's no mention of remarriage here. None whatsoever. And the word bondage here does not refer to the marriage bond because it's actually in a tense which means he never has been under that kind of bondage. So what he's saying is if the Christian has in their marriage and their other spouse and their spouse says, I just, I'm not going to live with you anymore because you're a Christian. You shouldn't give up your faith in God for that marriage. But it does not mean that you have a right to remarry again. Jesus gave one and only one reason. Now, a second loophole that men have sought to find is also in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 20. And there Jesus said, let each man remain in the same calling in which he was called. And here is the reasoning of those people. They'd say, okay, before you became a Christian, you married somebody and you didn't like them. And so you got a divorce and you married somebody else. You married that person and then uh, later on you say, I don't like them either. So then you divorce them and you get you another spouse. And then all of a sudden now you, you want to become a Christian. Somebody says, okay, well, you just remain in the calling with which you were called. That the words of the Scripture don't apply to you until you become a Christian. There's some real major problems with that. Would you say the same thing would be true if a person came and said, I'm a homosexual? before I became a Christian and I got involved in a homosexual quotation marriage if that's what they were when they were called why can't you keep doing that what about a man who's a thief and he's stolen goods from everybody in the community let each one remain in the calling in which he was called why not continue to be a thief Obviously, what he is discussing here was whether or not they were Jews or Gentiles. And uh, with regards to other situations that were neither right nor wrong. But if a person sinned, he's got to repent of that sin. If I have been a thief, I've got to repent of my stealing. If I'm an adulterer, I've got to repent of my adultery. And someone says, okay, well, you can repent of it then. That means if I've stolen something, I've got to give it back. If I'm married to someone I have no right to be married, then I can't continue in that marriage. But see, the truth is, because so many people are involved in today, everybody's looking for another loophole other than the one that Jesus gave. And the truth is, just like with the oaths, just like with the giving, there's no loopholes there. Now let's look at the fourth area, and that of responsibility. 
there are people today who do not believe that they are responsible for anything they say or do. In fact, we have fostered this in our country by constantly, if someone does something bad, we start asking the question, well, did he have a bad mother? Did he have a bad father? Did he grow up in a disadvantaged home? Did he, did he have this environmental influence on him as if he didn't have any choices in what he was doing? This attitude of blaming someone else for our choices goes all the way back to the beginning. If you'll remember clearly, when God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, He told them they could eat of any tree that was in the midst of the garden except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. You know, Eve ate. After she ate, she gave to Adam. He ate. And then you get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. And God, after he rebukes Adam, Adam said, the woman you gave to me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So Adam says, I'm not responsible. You shouldn't have given me Eve for a wife. Eve said, I'm not responsible. The serpent beguiled me. So it's nobody's fault. So I'm not responsible. And I didn't do anything wrong. Let me give you a New Testament illustration. You remember when Jesus stood before Pilate? At one point, Pilate wanted Jesus to know, do you know who I am? Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? Did Pilate have the power, the authority to release whoever he wanted to? Yes, he did. But Pilate found himself being pressured by the people. You get to verse 24. Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather the tumult was arising. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. Let me ask you a question. When Pilate washed his hands in that water ceremonially before everybody else... Did that absolve him and say, okay, well, I guess he's not guilty now? Did he not have the power to release Jesus? Yes, he did. But he didn't want to accept responsibility for it. He was looking for a loophole. How many people are like Eve? How many people are like Pilate to say, look, the world I have found myself in made me do this. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. I know you're very familiar with this passage, that of the good Samaritan. But this idea of it's not my responsibility, it's, there's another loophole that's being sought here. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up, tested him saying, Teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said, and what is written in the law? What's your reading of it? And so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbors yourself. And he said to him, 
You've answered rightly, do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Oh, that's a pertinent question. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down to Jerusalem, to Jer- from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance... A certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he had arrived at the place, looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And so he went to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring on them oil and wine. And when he'd sent him his own animal, he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he departed. He took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, whatever more you spend, and when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? He said, He who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Well, you think about the priest and the Levite. Not my problem. Not my obligation. Not my responsibility. Oh, there's a man over there who could be dead. You know, he's half dead. I'm just going to go by on the other side as if I don't see him. We somehow have this idea to say, I didn't see anything. I don't want to see anything. And to think somehow that 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 absolves us from the responsibility. There is no loophole there. In the 16th century, the Catholic Church really was trying to raise a lot of funds in a short period of time. One of the things that they did was to sell indulgences. Literally an attempt to buy off God. I'll pay for my sin and then I'll go commit the sin. Well, isn't that a convenient loophole for you? Many of the men known as reformers led by a man by the name of Martin Luther said, that can't be right. Selling indulgences, allowing somebody to pay for a sin and then go commit it. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor shall the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. I make my own choices, and God's going to hold me accountable for the choices I make. If I have before me an opportunity and I have the ability, then I have an obligation. I can't turn around and say, well, there's a loophole there for me. Now, we've looked at four different areas and there are more. But instead of trying to find a loophole, why not just be obedient Why not just do what God has said? Because God doesn't offer loopholes. 
But what he does offer is forgiveness to the penitent. For the person who recognizes the error of his way to be able to be forgiven of that. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. What about you tonight? Would that describe you, a person who's trying to sweep the dirt up under the rug, a person who's trying to find some sort of loophole around what you know the Scripture says, or are you a person who's willing to say, all right, I'm willing to admit it now. I've made a mistake. I've not done what is right. If you're not a Christian tonight, we want to urge you to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith, and being baptized. We're going to sing the song, God is Calling the Prodigal. If you need to come, please do so as we stand and sing.